Well, I just want to say good afternoon, church. It's, you know, I, I don't feel like I've, I've preached a sermon in front of you guys in a really long time, right? But I kind of want to give you guys a little update. I have the teens up here uh, because give it up for our teens. We love our teens, right? You know, something really fun uh, happened last night. Uh, our, all the LA, all the teens in LA had a, a worship concert all the way in Sherman Oaks, uh, and we drove. Uh, this 15-seater van uh, and drove all the teens uh, from here in the desert all the way to Sherman Oaks uh, just to worship God. And, you know, there's something about God's love being shown when you read the Bible or maybe in a, through a sermon, right? But when you're just surrounded by like hundreds of high school students all around L.A. just worshiping God, uh, I just feel like I, I connected way more with God in that one moment than I did the entire week, just seeing young people, the next generation, just really put their hands up, worship God, and just kind of give everything all in that moment. Uh, and so even our teens, man, they were just singing. It's kind of like customary. I don't know if it's like a L.A. thing, but there's this big old mosh pit in the front. So it looks like, you know, like a rap concert, but it's not. We're singing worship songs, obviously. And so all our teens, I mean, I just saw them just jumping up and down, sweating, uh, and then even Jordan Baker is not really much of a dancer, but you kind of saw him in his seat just kind of doing this. So I'll take that. I'll take that as a team leader. That, that's 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 a that's a victory for me. Uh, but I wanted to uh, be able to preach on this topic of uh, rules versus heart, rules versus heart. So that's going to be the title of our time. But before we begin, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and just get connected? Everyone take a deep breath in and exhale. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you for being the God that you are. Uh, God, whatever week that we may have, Lord, I pray that we can just let that all go. Thank you, God, for letting us be here uh, in your presence. It is a privilege. It is an honor. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for putting up with us, God, in the mistakes that we've created. But even in the victories, Lord, you walk by our side. Lord, help us to just be connected to the Spirit today. Allow these words to come to life as we read, connect, and just also, God, help us to see an image of your Son in a way that we've never seen before. God, I pray that you move me aside. Uh, Lord, just be with our time today, and I pray for everything in your mighty Son's name. Amen. Amen. Everyone turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 1, and it says here, well, everyone say amen when you guys turn there. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to even look up here, we also have the scriptures up here. But there's a couple stories, right? And so let's read in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now, some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil or to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hands was completely restored. And so we have been talking about this series or, or this topic uh, titled The Lord's Favor. And so in the, the past few Sundays, we've kind of been uncovering different chapters of Luke. And really, the Gospel of Luke highlights God's desire to provide blessings, favor. And we see it greatly when we're introduced to even Jesus as he's launching uh, kind of the start of his mission to save the world. And this is all through Luke's lenses. And so in the last few chapters, if you remember, we've read stories of how incredible Jesus' impact was on the poor, but even to the sick, right? And Scott, the last couple weeks, and even Aaron showed us that the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we are acquainted with the character of Jesus, the more we can see the different characteristics and dimensions of the God that we worship, right? And so this is exciting stuff. Uh, for the different people in that town, hearing and witnessing what really was the rise uh, to Jesus' ministry. And for someone probably hearing all this, it's like, man, this is too good to be true. And I want you guys to kind of ter- put your imagination caps on. That's kind of what they say in school, right? Put imagination caps. Can everyone imagine with me a little bit? All right, so, ma- so picture yourselves, right? Put yourselves in this story. You live in this small town and you're hearing your, you know, gravely sick neighbors just miraculously getting healed, right? And on your way to work, you're just probably just walking down the street and you start seeing pockets and maybe even larger crowds progressively getting bigger and bigger surrounding one man. And then you hear what they're talking about, sermons, maybe that's, talking about the heavily political climate during that time. Maybe sermons that criticize the different religious practices that you've grown up hearing. And even news and whispers uh, from other people that even local authorities are, are starting to maybe even kind of flagging this man that, that you're seeing. And maybe one day you're out fishing with your family. Everyone like, raise your hand if you like fishing. Amen. This is a, this is a fishing church, right? And so maybe you're out fishing with your family or maybe kind of a nice day out in the lake and you look to your left and you see several men on a boat pulling what kind of looks like from the show Greatest Catch. There's this large amount of fish in the nets, all these people kind of witnessing it and just watching this huge crowd. And you may be wondering, what is happening in my small town? And it all started when this man popped up. And this has been really the book of Luke so far. And as we read on in chapter 6, Jesus at this point is becoming a straight-up celebrity, right? So like, like, think like Oprah Winfrey status, right? If Oprah came to the desert, maybe people would be flipping out. Or maybe uh, thinking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Is there any The Rock fans? No? I feel like he's in like every movie nowadays. Is that, is that just me? I feel like it's a fluke. Or maybe someone more local, maybe think like Darren Yester at the annual Halloween costume party. 
Right. Obviously, it's at his house. He's hosting it. But man, when him and Nikki pull up with his, their costumes, it's like the place goes bonkers. And so anywhere that Jesus enters, the place just goes bananas. Right. And so Luke six, we're picking it up here and we start to see that people are publicly showing Jesus more love and respect. But the ones who hate Jesus are starting to kind of work for his downfall. And in this chapter, Jesus even takes large crowds of people that are kind of accumulating as he's walking through town. But then he funnels it down to just 12 people who will closely be trained and raise up to then spread the good news. And this is really the beginning stages of Jesus' ministry. But before that, and what we read here, are two encounters between the Pharisees and Jesus. And this is where we're going to stay this afternoon. All right, so we know, right, the Pharisees. We, we don't like the Pharisees, right? right? But, but, but what we know about the Pharisees is that they're teachers of the law. They have made religion all about elitism public displays of classism, right, and strict obedience to the written rules, just talking about like outward display of righteousness, right? But then we see this character Jesus on the other end, right, where he's represent, he represented this whole other view of what obedience to God looks like, and that's just through being in awe of how Jesus' love is really the human embodiment of how their God loved them. And repentance, healing, redemption is is given through just following Jesus. So at the time, people are hearing two sides of religion, where one side is all about strict obedience to the rules. Meanwhile, the other side is a road to transformation through the heart. And today, people's view of Christianity is really one of those Two same things, right? People's view of Christianity in today's generation is either on one end, it's just a bunch of obedience or being obedient to a bunch of unachievable rules. And we probably have been in conversations with maybe friends or or family when we ask them, hey, what do you think about the Bible? And they probably respond, "Ah, I just think it's a bunch of rules, right? We probably have been in those conversations, right? But then on one end, there's a view of Christianity where it's all about a spiritual and emotional transformation from not rules, but through Jesus Christ. But the question we wonder, and we should be asking ourselves this afternoon, is which view is bigger? Because the truth is, Christianity is undergoing a crisis crisis in the U.S. Right? And I have some statistics up here. And if you guys didn't know, evangelical Christians make up some of the largest groups in the United States. And however, through a 2019 survey, a group of religiously unaffiliated is starting to equal out in number. And so researchers are seeing that more and more people as the years go by are leaving places of worship. And so this survey reported in 1988 that 1.8% believe that God didn't exist and that a 3.8% probably felt, well, God, I don't know, maybe God does exist, but they don't know where to look, right? And so this was back in 1988. And in that same survey, it's called the General Social Survey, you guys can look it up, that in 2018, the numbers went from 1.8 to 4.7% believed that God didn't exist. 
And that three, 6.5% fall in that category of, man, God might exist, but I don't know where to look. And so what this shows us is while nearly one in four Americans no longer affiliate with a religion or with a faith, just one in 10 Americans don't believe that God exists. And so through the years, people are starting to dissociate themselves from God and doubts of, or people that have been doubting God have just quadrupled or have doubled. But I read this to you, not for you to, for you guys to get lost in the numbers or for you to get lost in the statistics, but there is really just something bigger within this result or this, uh, this conclusion that has been revealed to me when I read this study that honestly I was just heartbroken. It was earth shattering. You know, in this survey, there were main reasons why. And they started asking professors and religious institutions, why? Why are people leaving the church? Predominantly, even younger people leaving the church. And this author boiled it down to three reasons. You guys want to know what they are? The first reason is that the church is too political. So being a Christian means adopting a strict set of beliefs Even people in the church have grown up to feel that in the church it's being polarized by ideologies and that that everyone is just always wanting to draw lines in the sand or focusing too much on trying to be uniform through viewpoints rather than being united through Christ's influence. And the second reason is that the church is hypocritical. And people wonder why Church asks them to be responsible to Christ. Change your life. Be responsible disciples for Christ. But then people in the church are seeing that same church not being responsible for the needs of others. The needs of their community. The needs of their neighbors. Churches aren't perfect, right? Amen? And we make mistakes, but when people see see us hide or run away from addressing mistakes or act perfect try to kind of sweep problems under the rug, people see that. And that's hypocritical to people. And the third reason is that the church tends to be unwelcoming. Can you imagine that? And so people are questioning, some people are questioning the Bible. But as they're fighting through their different, you know, battles, maybe they're interpreting scriptures differently to other people, what that may look like is they're heavily criticizing the Bible. They're heavily criticizing what we believe or what I believe. And so what happens is that no one can exercise any type of different thoughts that may counter anything in the Bible. But they're coming of a place of curiosity. And then what's happening is that they're being controlled what to believe and then criticized for any beliefs that don't align. And we see this trend church after church. And that's really tension. That's a lot of tension even today. But when people look inside the church and the people who inhabit the church and the first thing that they see is not Jesus, that's a red flag. That is a red flag. And the problem is that if our discipleship is not mirroring the heart of Jesus, but we're basing our discipleship on just trying to obey a bunch of rules or working to be better at obeying those rules, we are missing the mark. And the sad dilemma is that this isn't new. Because people in the Bible have been debating this idea of the law versus grace, 
right? Where grace is more important than the law, and, and this is a core pillar of even Jesus' gospel. So meaning if Jesus died on the cross for grace to prevail, why is this still an issue today? And these two stories, like a mirror in Luke 6, can show us how we can act like the Pharisees in this scenario. And today, and if so, how devastatingly harmful that is to not only people, but the integrity of God's word altogether. And really, Luke 6 can show us what not to do, but also how to think in order to really be transformed and inspired by Jesus. You guys ready to break these stories down with me? All right, so keep your, keep your finger on Luke 6. And so the very first story is obviously Jesus and the Sabbath are talking about grain. And this is what I came up with, or this is what I felt like the Spirit was really communicating as I was, um, I was analyzing this passage, and I hope you guys can be moved by this, is that human need is more important than human rules. Everyone say human need, human need. is more important than human rules. And so the main conflict was centered around this idea of the Sabbath. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees in Luke 5, 33, verse 39, which is just literally the chunk of verses before Luke 6, even tried to question Jesus about the same thing. And so it feels like there's this just tug of war between this idea of the Sabbath. So in order to really understand Luke 6, let's go turn to Luke 5, verse 33. And we're going to see another kind of debacle between uh, the Pharisees and Jesus about the Sabbath. And so they said to him, John's disciples often fast and prayed. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, so John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. So Jesus answered, well, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And so we see that in this passage, the Pharisees made themselves appear to be good publicly by doing good deeds while pointing out the sins of others, right? While Jesus was attracting large crowds, all this crowd wanted to do was to learn and be in the presence of Jesus. But all that the Pharisees were focused on was that rules were being broken. And just like me, when I don't have a good heart, my devotion to Jesus could look more like trying to see the faults in things or seeing the faults in others and pointing them out rather than having compassion. Why? Because I feel like when I'm seeing other people's faults, it makes me just feel better about myself. And without God, what I become is I become this completely selfish human being. And I will compare and I will compare just so that I can see some type of value in my life. Do you guys relate with me? Because, like, if you were probably hearing the problem, like, maybe imagine this, right? You're hearing the problems of maybe your worldly friends or maybe your family, uh, and they're just, just spewing out drama. Oh, my gosh, this happened today. This happened last week. You know, and as you're hearing it, maybe you're like me, and you're just, you just think, oh, I'm so glad I'm saved. Have you guys ever just said that? Like, oh, 
I'm so glad I have Jesus, right? And I know probably this thought has gone in your mind, but and really that's not something to be ashamed about, but how does that fix things for the people that have come to you seeking for answers, seeking for truth? And that's why Jesus chose not to sit with the people who thought they had everything together, but with the people who recognized their sin and believed that they weren't good enough for God and that Jesus just wanted to help their unbelief. And what this shows us, or what this should show us, is that the external appearance never exceeds the internal condition. I'm going to repeat that. The external appearance never exceeds the internal condition. Does everyone know what this is? It's a rock. Right? It's not anything fancy. It's a rock. Right? Dwayne the Rock Jump. No, I'm just kidding. It's a rock. Right? But... On the outside, it's a rock, but when you open it, it looks like this. So this is a geode, right? And so on the outward appearance, it just looks like a normal, ordinary rock, but when you crack it open, there's something beautiful inside, and just the value of, of this just kind of increases, in my opinion. And so this example kind of shows me, right, if the external appearances don't exceed the internal condition is that Jesus doesn't care what you look like on the outside. But he carefully leans into the conditions of your heart. How your heart is on the inside dictates the entire body, the entire whole person. And so that's why he talks about this image of wineskins, right? And so if you guys didn't know, wine, when it ages, it expands, right? And so when wineskins are new, it's pliable, it's stretchy, can mold, it can form, but the more that it's being used, the more rigid it becomes, kind of like a leather couch. Everyone sit, has everyone kind of sat in like a really old leather couch? You can see the cracks and all that stuff, right? But when you sit on a new leather couch, it's like, oh, it's comfy, molds to your shape, right? So like old wineskins, the Pharisees are too rigid with their rules to accept Jesus, who we all know, right, that Jesus cannot be contained in traditions, in rules, that they place. And so this shows us that in order to really accept the impact of Jesus, we need a new heart. We need a new outlook. We constantly need to have a new vision, a new faith, a new life. Right? And with that same thought in Luke 6, again, during the Sabbath, another example that the Pharisees wanted to point out to Jesus is that they were picking grain. Right? And if you guys didn't, did you guys know that harvesting was one of the 39 categories of Jewish tradition that were forbidden during the Sabbath. 39. Can you imagine trying to memorize all those 39 categories? Right? How could you? That's impossible. Unless you have like photographic memory. But man, that's a lot. Right? And so then in this story, Jesus uses the example of David and the consecrated loaves. So why? Why did he use this example in the Old Testament? Well, if you guys didn't know, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, right, 12 loaves were placed at the altar in the temple, and it was called the Temple of Presence. And it was only eaten by the priests. So this is probably like really, really good bread. Like think about like Porto's bakery type bread. Like this is the best of the best, right? And so these priests has kind of this exclusive ability to, uh, to eat these 12 loaves, which uh, represented the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jesus brought up the story that when David and his men were fleeing from being chased by Saul, 
that God provided him with that same bread, that the priest at that altar was like, hey, you can have this bread, right? Only exclusive to priests, right? And so priest was there with nothing to offer David but the bread and the altar. And so something to know is that bread symbol, this bread symbolizes not only the presence of God, but as this bread was made to feed the priest, it also shows how God also cares about your physical needs, Right. And so meaning that the whole God takes care of the whole person. So not only does God want you to find success in your spiritual lives, find victories in your spiritual lives, but he also wants you to feel blessings and favor even in your physical lives. In every aspect in your life, God wants to take care of you. And so Jesus tried to show the Pharisees that their need to be fed is more important than the ceremonial regulations that was placed on harvesting, right? That my people needed to eat. These people are hungry. This is more important than your ceremony. And Jesus uses the same heart that our need to be spiritually fed is more important than any rule that governs it. And so practical for us is we need to focus on fixing the condition of your heart rather than being fixated on following the rules. Amen. So example, right? When we think about contribution, is my heart to give or is it being scared that Richard will see like a fat zero next to my name every week, right? But is my heart to give? Is my heart to give this to God, my first fruits? Maybe attendance of events, midweek, church. Is my heart to desire connection with people, to connect with God together? Or is it never wanting to be that person who's missing in the pews, or can I get a call? Hey, man, you okay? Hey, sis, you okay? Right? How would that make me look? Right? Is that my heart? Maybe we think about evangelism or, or mission. Is my heart to be inspired by how Jesus has transformed my life and wanting that for others around me who are in need? Or is it to make myself feel secure that I'm bringing guests and studying the Bible and being an active disciple? Right? How is your heart? You know, in John 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Not, if you obey my teaching, you love me, right? No, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And he's referring to the Spirit. And so it shows us that our obedience is not measured by how well we keep to the rules, but by how much we live lives that love Jesus Daily. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the second story, what this shows us, right, is that when we miss the point, we miss the miracle. So when we look at this passage right in verse uh, six to ten, we see another instance where uh, where, again, the Pharisees are just out to get Jesus and they're talking about the Pharisees. And this kind of makes me think, like, I wonder if the Pharisees don't have anything better to do. Because I feel like every single Sabbath, they're always just out to get Jesus, right? Like probably every Sunday that comes up, they're like, I wonder what Jesus is going to do today. Okay? You know, right? And so because according to the Pharisees, uh, and we see this instance where Jesus is healing a man. Healing was practicing medicine. And so people in the Sabbath were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to practice their expertise, uh, meaning that they were just not allowed to overall work. In the Sabbath, so meaning that it's a bad day if you break your bone, get a wound, maybe you catch COVID, right? It's a bad day to do that 
if, if you're sick on the Sabbath, urgent care is closed, right? Imagine like the frustration when Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Man, I was every single place on the Sabbath during that time, right? And the story is comedic to me reading it because, again, the Pharisees were more concerned about Jesus breaking the religious law that they were not seeing what was happening in front of them. That a literal man was getting healed in front of their very eyes. That a man in front of them was free of years and years of suffering, but the Pharisees were just more about Jesus breaking the Sabbath, right? And so this problem shows us that we are capable of missing the point, right? We are capable of missing the point. Sometimes when you tell me a story and I'm not listening intently, I, I, I miss the point of the whole thing and I just forget, right? That's kind of a small example, but we, we can miss the point. Does everyone remember the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Yeah. yeah? So there's some photos of this Ice Bucket Challenge. And so if you guys don't remember what it is, just thousands of people out were outside of their home dumping buckets of ice and water in their heads for Lou Gehrig's disease, right? That's what it was. Uh, or in the desert, it's just a normal summer day. But that's besides the point. Celebrities did it on national television, right? That's Kim Kardashian right there on Ellen. Social media blew up with people, friends and families were even doing it, tagging each other. Uh, and really the challenge, the real challenge was to donate money, like 10 bucks minimum. But how many of us did it and didn't donate any money? Raise your hand if you did it and just dumped like a bucket of ice on you for, for the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, right? There's only like a couple. All right. I know uh, Amo Jr. did it, but I'm not going to call him out. But so imagine all these people, right? Just thousands and thousands of people spent more money on ice bags than actually donating to the actual disease, right? And so it shows us that it's really easy for us to kind of miss the point. And, it, and the Pharisees not only missed the point that Jesus healed this man, but made religion to where if you aren't acting like us, if you aren't following our rules, then you are far off. And there's a positive versus negative relationship going on here. And so we see that the Pharisees were more concerned with the negatives, right? And what I mean by negatives is what they were more thinking about what rules should not be broken, which activity should not be done. But then we see Jesus, on the other hand, was more focused on the positives. What good should be done? Which needs should be met at this moment? So when we think about that, what is your Christian life focused on currently? When someone sees your walk, what do they see more? Is it the positives or is it the negatives? Are you more focused on being concerned about what other people aren't doing? Or are you showing people the kingdom of God based on the way that you live? So we end our time uh, or our moment here in this, in this story with the Pharisees where they get so furious and frustrated at Jesus exposing them that they start to plot for his murder. Right. And so they were, which ironically is just super against the law. Right. And so these teachers of the law were plotting what really was breaking the law. And so it's really ironic what these Pharisees were doing. And so it just shows that we cannot allow ourselves to miss what God wants us to focus on, because we will miss these opportunities of Jesus changing our lives, Jesus changing the lives of others and so on and so forth. And so the practical 
here is, uh, is you have to stay rooted to God through humility and prayer. I think I have it right there. Stay rooted to God through humility and prayer. And so why, humili- why humility? Right? We, we need to understand that Jesus has full authority and has full ultimate power. Right? In that, in that passage in Luke 6, he says, He is the Lord of the Sabbath. But remember when we were baptized, we said three words, right? Jesus is Lord. So meaning that not only is Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath, but when, if we're called to be disciples, Jesus is also the Lord of our lives. Right? And so we need to be humble to that idea that Jesus has full authority. And prayer. We need to align ourselves with his will rather than live a life that always questions it. And we read that in any big decision that Jesus makes, even throughout the New Testament, even before he chose the 12 disciples, he spends hours, almost all night, 24 hours, I don't know, just hours upon hours praying to God for wisdom. So the Jesus that is Lord of your life, he also prayed. So shouldn't we? Right? We need to. And so lately, I'm going to get a little real with you guys. You know, this crisis that I was talking about earlier has really hit close in the Gonzalez home this past couple of years. Because so many of my friends, even my family members this year had left the church. And even the faith. And they're fighting, trying to figure out what to believe, if they even believe in a God, if they believe that God loves them. And, you know, some of those friends and family members have come to me for help or even talked to me trying to convince me to leave, too. But you're part of a cult. You're part of a broken institution, whatever. So rather than trusting God, what, what's happening in my spiritual walk is I've just started to become really, really prideful. And my wanting to be, to be right, my wanting to kind of prove them wrong has caused me to spiritually be uninspired. And I start to convince myself that I am the stronger one, that I have all the answers, that I'm going to fix my friends, I'm going to fix their problem. And what happens is I'm undermining the authority of Jesus. And then what happens practically even in my own spiritual walk is I have not gone to God in prayer, but it's only when I am still and pray is when I can clearly see what God is trying to lay in front of me. Because unlike the Pharisees who are too focused on trying to prove Jesus wrong, can I see that Jesus really does have the power and authority that can change my life like he did the man with the shriveled hand. So even when I think about all the people that are really hurt spiritually, Jesus is the one to heal them, not me. Amen. Right? And if I'm not rooted in Jesus, that's when I'll really miss the blessings in life. Because I'm focused on other aspects of Christianity that has an effect, but really, quite frankly, doesn't really matter. But we need humility and prayer to differentiate these things or else just our Christian walks are just going to be really difficult day after day. So church, let us not be like the Pharisees in our daily walk. Amen. Let us not be Pharisees in our daily lives and really something to encourage us and and. Something to encourage just the church in general is that as a church, we do a lot, right? You look around and you see people in in this room. You guys get with one another. You guys study the Bible with people. You guys sacrifice your daily, weekly schedules to just love each other. 
And I just see this church, this Desert Cities church, give and give and give. Like, like literally, the Alexanders, we saw all those gift baskets. Like, that's crazy. This is a church that gives, and we do a lot. But I pray that we aren't defined by what we do and how well we do it, but defined by being a church that is always, every single day, every single hour, absolutely in awe of Jesus who changed our lives for the better and that's what makes that's what makes what we do even more worth it amen and these are you know there are rules to everything there are rules to a lot of things in our lives but we need to understand that the condition of our heart is way more important than the rules we follow amen and so i just want to show this uh scripture in Luke 6:21-22 we all know this as the sermon on the mount or the sermon on the plain Right, and let's read this together as we take communion. It says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Amen. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You know, I read this and I love the language that he uses. You know, I see the words poor, hunger, weep, uh, persecuted even. And I would like to think that as Jesus became the celebrity and he chose the 12 disciples, that the disciples are starting to kind of walk with this chip on their shoulder. Ooh, I'm like, I'm a disciple. I'm in the in crowd, right? Like, like all these crowds, like, yeah, you know, Jesus, that's my, that's my homie right there, you know? And they probably have, are having this chip on the shoulder, but what's happening in the story is Jesus is noticing their pridefulness. They say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's sit down and let me, let me, let me read you this, this sermon. Let me show you this sermon. And he uses this language. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who weep. And it's not blessed are those who have everything together. Blessed are the spiritually successful. Blessed are those who pray and read their Bibles every single... No. He uses languages that shows weakness, that shows meekness, that shows humility. And I think Jesus did this for a reason because Jesus doesn't expect you to be strong because when you align and walk with Jesus, He makes you strong. So blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who don't have everything together. Blessed are the sinners because they are the ones with mercy and grace can finally see that God has a plan and a will for their lives. Amen? Amen. And so as we take communion, I want you guys to approach the cross feeling like you, you don't need to have everything together. Amen. Feeling like you can be weak. Maybe praying those prayers that you probably felt ashamed to pray this past few weeks. right? Because God wants you to know that blessed are you who are poor who are hungry, who weep, who feel persecuted. And that's the beauty of communion as we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Amen? So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's take communion together. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for scriptures and passages like this, God. God, thank you for the teachers of the law. Thank you for the Pharisees, God. Because through them, God, we can see that perfection is not the end-all, be-all. That we don't need to have everything together. 
that we don't feel like we know everything, that we're following rule after rule and everything got to a T because of Jesus, God, we can see grace. We can see moments where weakness is okay when we are humble and we surrender that to you. Lord, that when we allow ourselves to walk with Jesus, God, that we can be strong because Jesus is strong. Lord, let us be a church that as we give, as we do, God, as we have these amazing, God, these these earthly victories, let us know and let us realize that is because of the love that Jesus has for us. And let that love, God, just... Shine, let that love spread to our friends and families who need it the most. God, and through us, Lord, we can see redemption in this world when we partner with you. God, thank you for being a God that is loving, that is giving, that is merciful. Let us reflect on this communion, the breaking of the body, the pouring of your son's blood. God, because this means redemption. This means that we no longer have to live in weakness. Thank you, and we love you. And I pray for everything in my son's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.